right, John 15. We are going to pick up part two. Last week, we really did focus on how we will be hated by the world. Um, and the most controversial thing about us does not have to be the lines that we draw in the sand. It's that we are faithful in obedience to Christ. The world will hate Christ in us, whether they know the reason for their hate or not. The fact that we align with Christ is enough to make us enemies with the world. That's what we talked about last week. If you did not, if you were not here, you did not listen to last week's sermon, um, the podcast is available, so you can go back and listen to it. But it was also a call not to be controversial, but to just simply live quiet, simple lives that honor Christ because division is naturally going to happen as we align with Christ. So there's plenty of scripture that tells us we don't have to use our social media and our corners of the of the town to make claims to cause controversy. We just have to walk in the love of Christ. And we're going to continue that. And that's in the context of John 15. But as we abide in Christ, we must abide with one another and we will not be able to abide with the world. That's what John 15 teaches us. Here's John 15. We're going to do the whole passage again. And then we're going to continue part two of that sermon. Here's what 15, starting in verse 18, says. Jesus is speaking and He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, then they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So that is our passage today. We started last week. We're going to carry it through. Let's pray. God, open our hearts, open our minds so that we cannot just study Scripture to study it, but Lord, so that we can understand that the Holy God in heaven gave His Spirit so that we can know You, so that we can live for You, so that we can make You known. Lord, help us to know You in Your Word. Help us to live for You and to know how to live according to Your Word. And help us to make You known according to Your Word. Lord, humbly, we have the Word open before us. Teach us Your Word in truth. And and stop my mouth and my words whenever I have stepped beyond Your Word. Lord God, we love You. Amen. All right. So we know the context of what last week was, but we're really going to push into this, these last few verses. And and I am mindful that it's hot and muggy and we got fans and we got kids. We have Scripture. And so here's where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in verse 20. And in verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 
But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So here becomes the question I think that arises in Christians whenever we are just trying to live for Christ. Whenever we are trying to be salt and light, then a question that we likely have is why in the world do they hate us? Because if we live for, to be the salt, if we live to be the light, then if those are good things that why in the world would the world hate us? And we got a glimpse of this last week. John 3.19 is the answer. Jesus said three verses after the most popular verse, John 3.16, which is, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Three verses later, He said this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. If we're going to know 3.16, we need to know 3.19 because it gives us some context for your life and my life. The reason that people will hate the good works of Christ is because people do not love the light. People love darkness. It is our default orientation. Our default orientation is to, to love sin, to seek ourselves, and to fulfill the desires of Satan. That is not going to be on a baby bib that you buy for someone, right? But my three kids who are sitting here today, as sweet and precious as they are, they are little sinners. They are born with sweet faces and a sinful bent. Scripture does teach us. Scripture does show us that our default orientation, even from birth, that in our in Adam's fall, there was a sin for us all and that we are born into a sinful nature. I did not have to teach my kids sinfulness. I did not have to teach them um, to be selfish. I didn't have to teach them to desire their own will. That's just what we're born with. But praise God that He, as we grow up, He puts godly parents around us who want to train us out of that. He gives us Scripture that shows us that we can call on Him. God does not leave us to our own desires, but He calls us out of them. And so... We live in that world, though, where the sinful orientation of the world is to love sin, seek ourselves, and so fulfill the desires of Satan. Here's a pretty unpopular thought, but it's scriptural. John 14.3 tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world. And Ephesians 2 says that you and I once walked, quote, following the prince of the power of the air, He's the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we once walked. So Scripture is clear that Satan is the ruler of this world and that we do walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Like there is an authority in this world that is bent against God. And we will either align with God or we will align with this world. And to align with this world is to follow the prince of the power of the air and to follow the prince of the power of the air is just another way of saying that we would follow Satan. So the reason that He hates you being salt and light is because you are the enemy's camp to this world. So we're going to keep pushing past that. And I want to look at, I want to have us turn because I like to see these verses. Look at James 4.4. Because here's a very popular and a very dangerous, dangerous belief popular belief among modern Christians is that, quote, we have arrived to the point to where we can be the cool Christian that brings the world and Christ together. Or we can be the church that embraces these aspects of the world so we can bring 
these aspects of the world make the gospel contextually rich and we can compromise, in a sense, what it means to be the church so that we can bring in more people. Don't get me wrong, the gospel has to be contextualized. The way that we preach the gospel in Fort Smith is different than how we're going to preach the gospel in Chicago, which is different than how we're going to preach the gospel in Africa. But the gospel itself doesn't change. And what we need to be aware of is James 4.4. May we be careful not to believe that we can be friends with the world and friends with God. James 4.4 says, James is writing, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's clear. It's clear cut. It's applicable. Would you be a friend with God? You cannot be a friend with the world. Doesn't mean you can't be friendly. Doesn't mean you can't be loving. But you cannot be a friend of the world. You cannot adhere and hold to the love of the world and expect to love God and be loved by God. They are two totally different paths that we walk down. Look at 1 Peter 4.4. 4. So find 1 Peter 4.4. 4. Same chapter verse, same chapter and verse numbers, but different book. 1 Peter 4.4. 4. Peter is calling out people and he says, you are a holy nation. You've been changed and redeemed by God. And in that context, he's writing to believers. So believers, the first Peter was writing to believers today. First Peter 4, 4 tells us this, with respect to this, they, the world, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The world is so surprised Whenever we do not indulge in the same debauchery, we don't indulge in the same sin as the world, and they malign us for it, they hate us for it. And yet this is that which we, we this is what we have been called to. First Peter four twelve. So you only have to go a few more verses. These are Bible Olympics where we're jumping back and forth, making sure we can do all the intervals and exercises. But I want you to see these verses that this is not John writing in isolation. This is not Jesus speaking and then the apostles saying something else. These are the apostles confirming what Jesus has written and Jesus laying the framework for what believers will do. And 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says, Beloved Christians, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And then it says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So why? Why will you be insulted? Why will you be blessed? We always say, Lord, bless me. This says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory, I'm sorry, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Scripture is incredibly clear that to be with Christ means that we will suffer for Christ. Romans 8:17 says, so you're going to have to flip many pages back to your left. Romans 8:17. Romans 8.17 says, And if children, because we love to say we're children of God, and if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And here's what Scripture says, that we are children and heirs and, and fellow heirs with Christ, quote, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So Romans eight seventeen, children of God, we love it. Heirs of God, we love it. Fellow heirs with Christ, we love it. Those are provided that we suffer with Him so that we may be glorified with Him. We love the glory of God. We must embrace the suffering of God. And this will come as we pursue the glory of God. As we love Christ, it will make us so radically different that the world will at once be drawn to us and repelled by us. Drawn to us by those whom God is drawing through us and repelled by us those who want nothing to do with God. Remember, they would want nothing of the salt and the light and the glory of Christ because men love darkness and love their sin. So, y'all, we will suffer simply because of our association with Christ. So, abide in Him. That was This is the framework. Abide in Him more. Like, I'm thinking of me. Less Netflix, less books, more Christ. Like, that's me. But make as much time to abide in Him I don't care what we have to do. The more we abide in Him, the more we press into His Word and we pray and we fellowship with other believers who are going to encourage us to be in the Word and to pray more and to trust God. As we do that more and more, then we're going to have to abide with Him. I'm sorry, abide with one another. As we abide with one another in a church fellowship and we love so deeply that the world sees a different kind of love, then the world is going to begin to hate us. And He tells us, they only hate you because they hated me. And why do they hate us? There's, there's plenty of Scripture. I can send those back to you if you need it. Let's move on through our passage. Jesus said, if I had not come and spoken to them, He says, if I hadn't come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Think about that. He says, if I had not come and told them. And then later in the passage, He says, if I had not done the works that I did, they wouldn't be guilty. But you know what? He did. He did come and tell them. He did come and do the works. They have no excuse. You and I, church, have no excuse. People that we tell about God and who reject God have no excuse anymore. But Romans clarifies, the book of Romans clarifies even more, that really no one has any excuse. There is no one who's innocent because God has put His glory and has put marks of a Creator into creation so that people to look at creation and say there is a God. They might not know His name. They might not know all the nuances of the Gospel, but they know that there is something much greater than them. And God in His grace will draw them. The question is not, is there a God? The question is, do we love God and is He worth our lives? And as believers, we gather because we know He is. But He's just simply clarifying that if I didn't tell them, if I hadn't told them I am the Son of God, then they wouldn't have... They wouldn't have an excuse, but you know what? I told them. And he said, if I didn't do these works, and remember John, as you read John, and we've gone through this, he doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. The first sign was changing water into wine. And why, do we, why does John use signs? Because signs always point to something. What are these signs pointing to? These signs are pointing that this is the unmistakable power of the holy God who has come down to earth. If you look at... Uh, Look at verse 25. Jesus says, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Right? Who's he talking about? He's talking about 
the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews, he says, in their law, it says, quote, they hated me without cause. He's referring to Psalm 35, 19. But the irony is that he's talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews. He's talking about people who would say that they love God, and yet he's saying, all of this, they hate me because Scripture says they would. says that they hated me without cause. In other words, Jesus says, I've told them who I am. They have absolutely no reason not to believe in me. There's no cause for it. They know, they've seen the power of my miracles. They have absolutely no reason to not believe in me. They have hated me without cause. And yet, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. As I'm thinking about pastorally, and think through this with me. When is it that we quit abiding in Christ except when we begin to embrace sin? Right? When we embrace a sin that we know that God hates, I'm going through my paradigm here, abide with Christ, abide with others, um, do not abide with the world. But whenever we are embracing or living in a sin that we know that God does not agree with, whatever that is, and, some, and we might be tempted to say, well, it's this sin or this sin or it's a lifestyle. No, whenever we embrace sin, whenever we embrace that which God hates, we're going to quit abiding with Him. Think about your relationships that you have. Whenever something begins to drive between you and the person that you're in a relationship with, whether it's friend or spouse or whatever, then whenever we allow that to creep in, then it begins to drive a wedge between us. So I found... That whenever we most want to love and indulge in our sin, we pull away from Christ and we don't abide in Him. There were, the, the compounding effect is that whenever we pull, pull away from Christ and our fellowship with Him, we want to pull away in our fellowship with other believers. Sin will always separate. But, as we pull away from Christ and we pull away from other believers, man, we're comfortable in the world and we want to live in the world. We have to be careful, church, that we do not upend the paradigm and live at peace with the world. Don't live in fellowship with other believers in the church and therefore don't abide in Christ. Does that make sense? We wonder why do people fall out of fellowship with one another? Well, it's usually because they have probably fallen out of fellowship with Christ first. Now, it's not that simple. I'm just saying the truth of what I've seen in ministry is that whenever we embrace our sin, we're not going to embrace the Son. And we cannot hold the sin in one hand and the Son in the other because they, and whenever I'm saying Son, S-O-N, the eternal Son of God. We cannot hold sin here and the Son here and expect to hold on to both. We cannot hold on to Christ and the world. There must be a division. Scripture says we cannot serve two masters and love them both. We will love one and hate the other. So, Christ or the world is the name of this two-part sermon because that's essentially what Christ is pitting right here. He says, look, it's comforting that you know that the world will hate you because you abide in Me. But you need to know that when you abide in Me, that might be comforting that the world is going to persecute you, but you're going to lose the world. And Scripture testifies to that all the way throughout. Go to Genesis and go to Revelation. It's a clear distinction God's people are to be holy because without holiness we will not see God and the world will not love holiness. Let's keep pushing on. 
All right, last passage. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. So just to clarify, the Helper is the Holy Spirit. And you might be thinking, wait a second, in John 14, gotcha, it says that God is going to send the Spirit. And here Jesus is saying He's going to send the Spirit. You know what? <clears throat> oh, blessed unity of the Trinity. Whenever God sins, Jesus sins. Whenever Jesus sins, God sins. The Trinity always works in association and conjunction with one another. So this is not a gotcha moment. This is verifying the truth of Scripture. Okay, here's what you and I want to get. Two witnesses for Christ that impact us today. He says that the Helper comes and the, the Helper will bear witness about Me. And then He says, and you also must bear witness about Me. He says that there are two witnesses that will come, the Holy Spirit and believers. So Jesus' um, authenticity and His identity in this world are known in two ways, the Holy Spirit and believers. Now in John 5, if you want to flip back there, you won't be able to find this sermon on a podcast. But if you flip back to John 5, he listed some others. He said that John the Baptist will attest and, and will tell you that I really am who I say I am. John the Baptist will tell you. He says, God the Father has told you. He says, Scripture has told you and Moses has told you. So in John 5, Jesus has told us that there are many who, are gonna, who have already borne witness about Him. But now He's adding two more. He says, Holy Spirit and believers. Y'all, the, the Holy Spirit... If you see in Scripture, He will bear witness. The Holy Spirit will confirm in people that He really is who He says He is. That He is the Lord and the Savior sent by God the Father to reconcile sinful men and bring them into His eternal kingdom. The Holy Spirit will do that. Here's our problem in our world today. The Holy Spirit does not have an audible voice in this world. We are His audible voice. Now, why do I say that that's the problem? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to the hearts of men. We have to give voice so that the Holy Spirit will work in those men and women. This is a problem because many times we don't open our voice. We share the Gospel, in other words, is what I'm saying. We share the Gospel and the Holy Spirit works through the Gospel. We are to share and proclaim the name of Christ. The conversion is not on us. The conversion is on the Spirit of Christ. Their acceptance of the truth is on Christ. That is the Holy Spirit who does that work. But He does that work in conjunction with His believers. This is how it has always worked from the apostles until now. Listen to what a commentary says. I love it the way they do it. The mysterious work of the Spirit, right? The mysterious work of the Spirit is not done in isolation from the church. The apostles were to bear witness to the facts that they came to know. The apostles witnessed, the Holy Spirit persuaded, and people were saved. Alright, listen to that one more time. The apostles witnessed, the Holy Spirit persuaded, and people were saved. It goes on to say, the same combination of human obedience to the divine command coupled with the witness of the Spirit is needed in every generation. So, the Holy Spirit's going to bear witness. You and I must bear witness. We must live in a way that glorifies Christ now God has chosen to redeem ordinary people like you and me so that we can tell the glories of who He is and all of His majesty. But there's a reciprocal relationship that as we share, then God works. 
but God will work through the sharing of His people. So, while we live the quiet lives that we talked about last week, we never live quiet lives that are divorced from the command that we must go and tell other people. We go, we tell them who He is, we trust God for the results. You and I, if we don't go, then we are disobedient. If we go in our obedience and God does not call that person to salvation or they do not respond, we did not fail. We only fail when we, when we refuse to go. Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission says go. Acts 1, 8, which is what we will do, with our bened- do for our benediction, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you church will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what is it we proclaim? And I'll conclude. Y'all know what gospel means? Gospel literally means good news. Like the good news. The problem that we might run into is that we don't really see it as the good news anymore. But let me give you some context. The good news as it would happen historically would be the good news that a messenger or a writer brought from the battlefield. So if you will, imagine, just for our sake, that we're not in a big city where all the conveniences are here. We're in a much smaller, more primitive town. And we're all sitting at our windows. And there's been a battle going on. And our commander has been on the field. And the messenger, we hear his horse approaching the city. And he's riding into the city. And we know he's rushing. And we hear him proclaiming something. And what he's proclaiming is the gospel. And the gospel is... That the commander and the army, our army, has won and defeated the enemy. So he goes through the town and he's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the good news that our king has been victorious. And that is the gospel. Like in the historical context, that's what it means. That a messenger is bringing the good news to the village and, to the, and throughout the streets that the king is reigning. You and I have the good news. We have the gospel. Christ is the conquering King. He has overcome. Y'all, this, this is what we've been receiving is that we who have been bound in darkness and slavery, we have been freed and our King is conquering. Satan has been defeated and we are free. And you know what we do with that? Oh man, that's good news. And we just stop living for Christ. This was... To have the good news and the gospel was a military victorious cry and message. And we would have been rejoicing in the streets. And now we just rejoice on Sunday mornings in church. We rejoice in the privacy of our car, but not in the world. The good news is the good news because the bad news has been solved. You and I were enemies with God at the right time. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, and He has redeemed us. And this is the gospel that's being brought to us. We cannot sit there and go, "Mm, good, good message, and do nothing with it. To do nothing with that, for it not to affect our lives, and for it to not be something that we love to talk about, is an indicator of our heart's condition, y'all. Scripture tells us so clearly that that is not how we can live our lives. We must proclaim Christ. That's the application of all of this. We must know Him. 
We must live for Him. We must make Him known. And as we know Him and live for Him and make Him known, the world will hate us. And I'm saying, take great comfort, Christians. That's my application. Take great comfort. Because the Savior Himself has said that when you live for Me like this, the world will hate you. And that's what we live for. To be loved by Christ. To abide in Christ. Abide with one another. And the world will not abide with us. You don't have to try to make it happen. You abide in Him first. Forsake the sin that's separating you. Abide with others. There's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. It's not scriptural. Right? What's going on with churches being separated and dispersed, I think in one way is purifying. In many other ways, I think it's damaging and hurting the church because many people are becoming comfortable in their solitude. And in their solitude, they can justify their own sin. And in their solitude, they are being separated from the rest of the body of the church. What God is using to purify, Satan is using to separate. So keep clinging with one another. Love Christ. Love one another. But don't, be, don't expect to be loved by the world. We're loved by something much greater. A holy and compassionate God who saved us from our sins. Lord God, You are the King eternal. You did not come to bring peace to the world. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, towards those who love You, God. You brought peace to the world, but that peace, He went to the cross. And the only way to be in pursuit of, the, of that peace and to be bound up in that peace is to follow the Prince of Peace. But He is leading us in triumphal procession out of this world and into heaven. So Lord, help us to live for You now. Help us to abide in You. Help us to abide with one another. Because those are part of your final words to your disciples. Help us not to make Christianity what we want it to be, but what you have created it to be. Help us to be the church, a gathering of believers who love you and pursue you. Amen.